I want to preach tonight from the book of the Song of Solomon, chapter 5. So if you will, I'm going to read just some verses here. If you want to go ahead and stand. And uh, let me just kind of, as I work my way down through these verses, kind of tell you what's going on here, okay? So in verse number 2, we have the story here of the wife, the bride, that is speaking to her husband. Look at verse 2. She says this, I sleep. But my heart waketh. Now let me stop there and just say, I, I, I don't know if what she's telling us here is a dream that she's had, or if she's kind of, you know, sometimes right before you go off to sleep, you're kind of, you're kind of semi-conscious of what's going on, but you're just about to go off uh, into that good sleep. But she said this, I sleep, but my heart waketh. Then she said this, it is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, open to me. So she's about to go off to sleep, and all of a sudden she hears a knock at the door. And she remembers the sound of the voice because she said, It's the voice of my beloved. And he's crying out to me, is what she said. Here's what he's saying, Open to me. In other words, open the door, he says. And then he starts calling her these names. My sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head, he says, it's filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. And then she answers back to him. Verse 3, I put off my coat, she says. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet, she says. How shall I defile them? And then she said, my beloved put his hand by the hole of the door. And my bowels, my inwards were moved for him. I rose up. Now, all of a sudden, now she realizes what's going on. So she she finally, she's back to consciousness. Boy, she gets up real fast. She's going to go throw open the door to him. Look at verse 5. I rose up to my to open to my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh. And my, swing, my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. But now notice verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Now, that's all I want to read tonight. But if you look back at verse number 2, the beloved, her husband, was saying, open, knocking at the door, saying, open to me. So tonight, I want to, first of all, ask you to forgive me for the carnality of my title. But I want to preach on this subject tonight. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight. Please help me as I try to preach. And God, please use your word to speak to our hearts and create within us a desire to throw open the doors and let Jesus come in. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. You know, as you move through the Bible, there are many different analogies that are used throughout the Bible that depict what our relationship with God is really like. I mean, when you read through the Bible, you'll find out that there are pictures that are given to us that kind of describe what our relationship as a child of God to God is really like. For instance, sometimes in the Bible you read that this relationship that we have with God is somewhat like a, a, a shepherd-sheep kind of relationship. You know, the Bible said, Jesus said of Himself, I am the good shepherd that giveth His life for the sheep. And aren't you glad tonight to have in the presence of the Lord Jesus a good shepherd that cares for you? You know, the Bible said that we're nothing more but the sheep of His pasture. If you know anything about sheep, sheep are very dumb animals. 
They're very defenseless animals. They're very dirty animals. Sheep have no ability to, to defend themselves. Like maybe a dog can at least bite. A cat can at least scratch or maybe climb a tree. A skunk, well, we know what a skunk can do. He can spray. But you know, a little sheep can't, they don't have any defense mechanisms. The only defense that a little sheep has is to stay in the presence of the shepherd. Boy, I could say a lot of things tonight, and I will, but if you don't get anything else other than this, let me just say, in these last days, we better make up our mind to stay in the presence of the shepherd because we're dwelling in the midst of lion country. The devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking him. We're no match for him. We better stay close to the shepherd tonight because we'll be devoured if we don't. Sometimes this relationship is pictured like a shepherd-sheep kind of relationship. I just want to say tonight, I sure am glad to be a sheep in the flock. Amen. But then sometimes in the Bible, this relationship is pictured as a father-child relationship. Boy, I'm so glad tonight that I'm not just a sheep in the flock, but I sure am glad I'm a son in the family tonight. The Bible said that, Behold what manner of love, 1 John 3, 1, the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Aren't you glad? By the way, beloved, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Look, I'm not waiting to find out after I die if I'm a son of God. I'm glad right now, even before I die, I'm glad I already know that because I've received Jesus, that right now I am a child of God tonight. Amen. Boy, sure is good to be a sheep in the flock. Sure is good to be a son in the family tonight. But then sometimes this relationship is kind of depict, uh, depicted to us as a, as a soldier with a general uh, kind of relationship. I mean, the Bible tells us that as a child of God to endure hardness as a good soldier. We have a commander in chief that one day is getting ready to come back from heaven. And when he rides out of heaven upon the white horse as a commander-in-chief, I don't want him to find me back at the chuck wagon. I want him to find me on the front lines fighting the good fight of faith. I'm glad to be a sheep in the flock. I'm glad to be a son in the family. And I'm glad to be a soldier in the fight. Amen. But then sometimes in the Bible, this relationship is depicted as a master-servant kind of relationship. I mean, he's the master, I'm the servant. By the way, I don't find that a bit demeaning to my ego tonight. Just to say, look you in the eye and tell you that I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I got a master tonight. And by the way, the servant don't tell the master what the master's going to do. The master tells the servant what the servant's going to do. You know... When you got saved, I want to say it like this. When you got saved, when you and me got saved, we not only made the best decision that we'll ever make in life, but we also made the last decision that we'll ever make. Because I'm just a servant. I'm just a slave. He's the master. From now on, he makes all the decisions for me. So it's not up to me whether I'm going to be in church tomorrow night or not. He's already made that decision for me. Look at me now. It's not up to me. Whether I'm going to lose an hour sleep on Saturday night, get up on Sunday morning, and be in Sunday school. He's already made that decision for me. It's not up to me whether I'm going to tithe this coming Sunday. You know why? He's like, don't look down. We ain't praying right now. Too many of God's people suffer from a terrible case of cirrhosis of the giver, don't they? I saw a bumper sticker on the back of a car the other day that said this. Tithe if you love Jesus. Anybody can honk. You're welcome. 
It's not up to me whether I'm going to tithe Sunday or not. You know why? He's already made that decision for me. I'm glad. Now watch the. <laughs> I hope I get all this down. I'm glad to be a sheep in the flock. I'm glad to be a son in the family. I'm glad to be a soldier in the fight. And I'm glad to be a servant in the field. Amen. But our text tonight deals with another one of these kind of relationships. You know, sometimes in the Bible, our relationship to God is kind of depicted as a groom and a bride kind of relationship. You can't read Ephesians chapter 5 without understanding that the Lord Jesus is a picture. He's the, he's the groom. You and I are the bride. And by the way, He's coming back for the bride someday. And right after He comes and gets us, He's going to take us to the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to get every wrinkle, every spot out of the wedding garment. And then He's going to take us over to the marriage supper. And we're going to have a feast in the sky. And we're going to, we're going to be in His presence forever and forever and forever. Our text tonight deals with that kind of relationship. This relationship that we have uh, in our text tonight. This, this, this book, the Song of Solomon, is, is a picture here of a husband and a wife kind of relationship. We tonight are in a, a bride and groom kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus. And one of the key takeaways from this book, the Song of Solomon, you can't miss it. How much they love each other. How much she loves him. And how much He loves her. By the way, that's the way marriage is supposed to be. Amen. We're supposed to love each other. I heard about this old man, his wife, they're getting ready to walk into a bank one day. There's a couple other men and they opened the door to get ready to go in. And as they did so, this guy comes out wearing a mask, holding a gun and a sack of money. And he's running out the door. And when he gets there, he looks at them and they look at him and he looks at one of those men and he says, Did you see me rob this bank? He said, yes, sir. He just took a gun shot him on the spot. He looked at that other guy and said, you see me rob this bank? He said, yes, sir. He just took a gun shot him on the spot. He looked at that husband and wife. He looked at the husband. He said, did you see me rob this bank? He said, no, but my wife did. <laughs> that ain't how it's supposed to be. I mean, we're supposed to love each other. <laughs> yes, sir. I heard about this one man got one of those draft notices in the mail, said something to the effect, Uncle Sam wants you to come sign up for selective services. He just turned it around, wrote on the back of it, can't come, got war at home. And you know something, that's, that too many of us are living with war at home, aren't we? But this, this story is, is about this love relationship between this man and his, and his bride. Let me say it like this, between Solomon and his bride. You know, this book could almost be called a parable in the sense of the word that we use the word parable because we say that a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. Well, in that sense, I guess this book can be called one as well in the fact that what we have here is an earthly story. But woven within this earthly story is the far greater story of the love that Jesus has for His church and the love that the church ought to have for the Lord Jesus. Now, what's this story about? Well, it's just about this man and woman who meet. They fall in love. They get married. And he comes over to her house one night and he begins to knock on the door because he wants to come in to her. Now, when I slip my New Testament glasses on, let me quote a verse to you. Revelation 3, verse number 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him. And by the way, and we'll sup with him and he with me. And I know we use that verse a lot with salvation. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But in the context, he's not 
talking to a lost person. He's talking to a church. And he's saying to the church, hey, 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 open to me, my beloved. Hey, let me come in. And I thank the Lord in the last days. He's knocking at the door of the church and he's trying to get an entrance in so he can fellowship and commune with his people. The church of the last day. We're living in those last days. And the Lord is looking for a place that will just throw open the doors and let Him come in. You know, as we live out these last days, we're basically seeing two things. Number one, we're seeing anarchy in our country. Did you ever think that we would live to see some of the things that we're seeing in these last days? The marches, the protests, the upheaval in our government. I mean, man, it almost, we almost resemble a third world country with this chaos and confusion that's going on in our country today. They speak of starting impeachment proceedings on our president. Man, uh, uh, the homosexuals are walking off of everything. The liberals and the communists and the socialists are trying to take our nation over. By the way, can I stop and say, there's no such thing as a free lunch, friend. Somebody's got to pay for it. They can talk about free health care if they want to, but somewhere, somebody's got to pay for that. Amen. You're welcome. Just a little political insight there. But we're seeing a lot of anarchy in our country. But can I tell you the reason there's so much anarchy in our country? is because there's so much apostasy in our churches. We have shut the Lord Jesus out of His own church. Man, we go through service after service. We go through these habits and these routines and these rituals. And buddy, we go through all that and never, never, never think about inviting Jesus into the very church that He died for. And I'm telling you, if one thing we need to do in these last days, somebody needs to fall open the door to the Lord Jesus and invite Him to come back in. Because if He don't, we're all goners. The hope of America tonight is not in the White House. The hope of America tonight is not in the Congressional House or the Senatorial House. The hope of America is not in the Governor of Tennessee. The hope of America is right here in this church house. And boy, the church has got to get back to letting Jesus come back in. Amen. How many of y'all are with me now? I want to say three things about this text. First of all, I want you to notice in verse number... Notice, if you will, in verse number 2. I want you to notice His sweet request. His sweet request. Request. So what we have here is Solomon coming to the door of his beloved. Now let me tell you, I haven't told you this thus far, and I may be dead wrong about this, but most people, most commentaries that I read behind think that this woman is Abishag the Shulamite. The Shulamite. Remember Solomon actually killed his half-brother. She must have been a looker. She must have been a, 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 a 12 on the scale of 1 to 10. Because Solomon actually killed his half-brother, Adonijah, over Abishag. Remember the story? Remember that? First Kings chapter 1, chapter 2. I mean, man, Solomon really must have loved her. She must have been a real looker. And in our text tonight, he comes, he comes to her. He calls for her because he cares about her. Can I say that one more time? He came to her. He called for her. Because he cared about her. Aren't you so glad the day when the Lord came to you? Aren't you glad for the day that he called for you? And the reason that he came to you and the reason that he called for you is because he cared about you. 
Nobody ever cared for you or me like Jesus did. And here is Solomon, and he comes to the door, and he wants very much now to be in her presence. And he wants for her to be in his presence. Let me say it like this. He wants to have communion with her. Let me use a Bible Bible terminology. You know what he wants to do? He wants to draw nigh unto her, and he wants her to draw nigh unto him. He wants to tell her what he thinks about her. And he wants to hear from her what she thinks about him. By the way, what a blessed privilege for this this lady, Abishag or whoever, to have Solomon to want to be in her presence. Because you've got to understand at this particular time, Solomon at this time is the most powerful, the most influential man in the world. He's the king of the nation of Israel. Israel at that time is the superpower of that wor- of the world of that day. And what an honor for her to have him to come into his presence. What an honor for her to have him, somebody like him, to love her. And she has the glorious privilege of being the bride of the king. He knows her like no other. She has the privilege to know him like no other. That's the reason I say, boy, this starts off. I mean, when he knocks to on the door, what a sweet request. Open to me, he says. By the way, did you notice those sweet little names that he had for her there? In verse number 2. You got any sweet names? Uh, for your for your spouse, I mean, when you're not at church, have you got some little names that you like to call her? I do my wife, baby, Boopsy, Butamos. She calls me Samson. Shut up! I'm kidding. We got those. Don't we all have those little pet names, honey? You know, we all got those little pet names. Notice what he calls her. Look at verse number 2. He calls out to her, and he's knocking on the door, and he says, open it. And then he says, I don't understand this first one, my sister, because I got two sisters, one older and one younger. And I hate both of them. We never have got along. We don't get along today. I'm kidding about that. But we used to fight all the time. I'm telling you, it was a, at our house, it was just, it was, a, it was a fight for survival with two sisters, one older and one younger. And I, I don't know what it is, but every time we get in a fight, I was just trying to survive. I mean, cause they teamed up on me. And I was just trying to survive. And, and here they are, both of them beating on me, and I'm trying just to keep them off of me and fight with them the best I can to keep just from being killed. And then after it's all over, after it's all over, my daddy would say something like this. Hey, boy, go hug their neck. I say, daddy. I'd rather kiss a mule in the mouth than to hug your sister's neck. Wouldn't you? I'd say, Daddy, could you just please beat me till the smoke alarm goes off? I don't want to hug their neck. I don't understand that first one, that sister part. But then he says this. I kind of get this one. My love. Then he says this to her. My dove. Then he says this to her. My undefiled. You know what he's wanting to do? He's wanting to get into her presence. And by the way, if you look at verse number 2, he's paid the price so they could be together. Look at the end of verse number 2. He said this. He said, my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drop of the night. In other words, he said, honey, you don't understand. I have come a great distance. I have paid a great price so we could be together tonight. 
That's right. He said, honey, if you'll just open this door. He said, my hair is just wet. I've been walking. The dews fell on me. Honey, if you'll take my clothes up, you can just wring the water. But I didn't care. I'll pay any price, honey, to be near you. Can I say the Lord Jesus paid a great price so we could get together and fellowship together? Listen, He died on the cross. He shed His precious, rich, royal ruby, red blood for you and for me. He was beaten beyond recognition. And the reason He did that is so you and me and you and us and him could get together for a time of communion and fellowship. He's paid the price to get to where she is. And all he wants to do is just come in for a time of fellowship. Well, I'll tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I believe the Lord tonight is just looking for a church. I believe he's looking for a place who don't care about prestige or popularity. He's looking for a place. Uh, he's looking for a place that don't care about making a name for themselves. He's just looking for a place where people love him, where people want him, where people desire fellowship, where worship is at, and people want to just adore him and lift him up and tell him what they think about. I kind of got it in my mind. He likes to hear that. I like to hear it. I got to the motel this week, and my wife and I. Open with, but I had five letters tucked in my suitcase. Never one of those letters. She's telling me something that she likes about me. Yeah. That's a whole lot to like right here, friend. <laughs> Shut up. No, I'm kidding. But she did. And I love to hear it. I love it, man. My, my muscles look like mosquito bites. You ever stand guys in front of the mirror and kind of flex a little bit? Don't you kind of like it when she said, wow! Man, what have you been doing, lifting weights? Yeah. Don't you like to hear that stuff? Don't you like to hear it when she starts talking to you about how much she loves you and what a good person you are and how she couldn't live without you? Don't you think the Lord likes to hear that from us? Don't you think He's just looking for a place that will just throw open the doors and say, Jesus, come on in and while you're here, we just like to tell you what we think about you. Yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful if right before the preacher got up and preached Sunday morning, somebody jumped up and said, Preacher, before you preach, can I just tell Jesus how much I love him? I kind of got it in my mind. He'll hang around a place like that. Amen. That's all he wants to hear. And then in turn, he wants to respond by telling her what he thinks about her. That's worship. That's, that's why, you know what that is? Worship. I mean, when we begin to brag on Him and lift Him up and glorify Him and adore Him and push Him to the front, that's called worship. And when when He finds a place that'll worship, i got it in my mind, He'll hang around a while. Because there's so many places that aren't interested in worship anymore. And just let me say this, the difference between a dead church and a live church is Him. Years ago... And I'm going to wrap this up. Years ago, I heard uh, Curtis Hudson, he was preaching, and uh, he, he told this story in, in one of his sermons. And here's what he said. He said it was uh, 7 o'clock, and he said it was time for the revival meeting to start. And uh, the, the preacher was up, and, and the choir was getting ready to sing, but the preacher's wife began to look around. And she didn't see the evangelist that was there to preach that week. She looked, she stared all over the conference, didn't see him. Finally, she punched her little daughter sitting beside her and said, Hey, honey, go back in yonder and see if you can find that preacher. 
So the little girl got up. She went out the side door and she starts going back through the back halls. And she's opening up Sunday school doors, looking in, closing them. Finally, under the down at the very end of the hall, under the door, she sees a light on. And then she steps up there and she hears something. So she cracks the door open and that preacher is in there by an old slap back chair, straw chair, and he's down on his knees praying. And here's the way he's praying. Oh God, I gotta have you. Lord, I can't do this without you. God, I need you to be with me. Oh God, don't let me go out there without you. Please, God, be with you. And she just shut the door. She went back, sat down beside her mom on the pew and she said, did you find him? He said, she said, yes ma'am, I found him. He said, he'll be out in a minute. And that other's coming with him. Can I tell you something? We need that other one. I mean, I mean that respectfully. But I tell you what, brother, the reason ain't, ain't a lot happening anymore is because that other one ain't coming with us. We gotta have him. And the best way to have him, somebody throw open the doors and let him in. A sweet request. But now I want you to come to verse 3, and I want you to see a second thing. Not only his sweet request, but I want you to see her silly reasons. Because, I mean, he's just wanting to come in. And then beginning in verse number 3, she's offering up every excuse in the world why she can't get out of the bed and let him in. Now, let me tell you what she ought to have done. She ought to have, when he started knocking, and he started calling her, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefined. I mean, when she heard his voice, she ought to lit up out of that bed, went screaming across that floor like a Comanche Indian, yeah, 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 and opened up that door, and I mean, kissed him right on the jaw. That's what she should have done. But no, she ain't interested in that. I mean, he's wanting to get in, and she starts going through a list of reasons why she can't get out of the bed. And let him in. Silly reasons. For instance, look if you will. And I kind of gave these reasons some name. Look at verse 3. The first one is this. I put off my coat. How shall I put it on? She says. And she said this. If that ain't enough, she said, I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? She starts offering up every excuse in the world why she can't get out of the bed. I mean, I can just hear these excuses. She says, first of all, she said there in verse number three, I'm in, let me put this in, in the Knox County, right? Let me put this in Knox County language. Honey, I'm tired. I have worked all day long. Do y'all say this around here? I am just wore out. Y'all ever say that? Now I'm from the country. You know what it's like. We know what it is. We know what we're talking about. We say, I'm just wore out. And I think what she's saying is, I put off my coat. I'm comfortable in the bed. Honey, I'm wore out. It's been a long day. I'm tired. I'm weary. I need some rest. Not tonight, honey. Hey, can I tell you something? How many of us drag into church? And I understand we are wore out. Man, we live in a busy world. But I think sometimes we come to church and we're so tired. I mean, we're waiting for church to get over before it gets started. Don't be mad at me. I'm not talking about y'all. But I notice at our church how many people back into their parking place. Now, I ain't got nobody. I don't know what you drive no way. So don't think, man, the preacher's preaching on me tonight. I'm not. But you ever notice how many people when they come to church, they... And they back in. You know why? Because, man, when it's over, they're ready to get in the car and get out of there. You know why? We wore out. We don't have time for a meeting like that. By the way, I commend you. And, boy, we had good crowds every night. And I'm not preaching to y'all. But I'm preaching somebody else tonight. But that, you know something? I mean, a lot of folks, you have a five-night meeting. 
They cut it off after Wednesday night. You own your own Thursday and Friday night. You better get the good love offering Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because you ain't getting nothing the rest of the week. We wore out. She said, I'm tired. I can't do this. And how many of us come to church with one thing on our mind and that one thing is not getting in, it's getting out? Because it's, it's 8.01. Come on, preacher. Wrap it up. She's tired. Look again at verse 3. She said this, I've washed my feet. That first one, I call that one the relaxation excuse. I call this one the ritual excuse. You know what she's saying? She's saying, uh, look, I'm all cleaned up. I don't want to get dirty again. Listen, honey, don't call me. I'll call you. You know what? There was a time when our life was in great turmoil and great distress. Our marriage was falling apart. We were hooked on alcohol and drugs. And we didn't know what we were going to do. I mean, man, we wanted him. We wanted him bad. Boy, somebody told us about him. First thing we did, we wanted and And the more of him we could get, the better off we liked it. We didn't come to get in. Uh, we didn't come to get out. We come to get in. I mean, buddy, the, the, the preacher got done. It's almost like you're sitting there saying, is that it? I mean, we got to go. Is this it? You stood around church 45 minutes after service was over, shaking hands, talking about how good God was because He'd cleaned your life up. He got you off a of dope, put you on the hole. He got you out of the mire and put you in the choir. He got you out of the hell holes and put you in the household. He did all that for you. Boy, you couldn't get over. You couldn't get enough of Him. But now it's like this. We got a good haircut. Our family's doing well. We got enough money to pay the bills. Our dresses are long. Our hair is short. Except on ladies. Lady, hair long on ladies. Hair short on man. I used to, I used to go to Bible college and a preacher Lackey used to get up and say, he'd say this. Hair on the ear, sit in the heart. Hair on the ear, sit in the heart. We all knew what that meant. Go get a haircut. Can I tell you something? We're all cleaned up. And our attitude is, Jesus, thank you. If I need you, I'll call you. Come on. Silly reasons. Silly reasons. But we need Him more than anything. This church, you got a good church here. Your preacher has done nothing but all week long bragged on y'all. This man loves this place so much. I have so much respect for him because he has so much respect for you. I'm telling you, he loves you. He loves this place. And can I just say that? Thank God for that. But can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? We gotta have Jesus. We gotta have Jesus. So I preached my whole sermon to get to this. Now watch this. So we got his sweet request. We got her silly reasons. But last of all, look at verse four and following. Now we have these sad results. Look what happens. Verse number, verse number four. I don't know what happened. Verse number five said this, I rose up to my beloved. So let me, let me kind of, let me kind of give you the picture that I get from this. So she, she's heard him knocking. So she finally, she finally gets up. Hey, she's finally awake. She's, oh my goodness, what have I done? What have I been saying? I can't believe this. And she, and she, she gets out of bed and she runs over there. Let me, let me use the story over here. So she runs finally over there and she, she throws open the door. She says, honey, come on in. Solly? Solly! Where'd he go? 
Because one of those verses, and I think it's verse 5 or verse 6, said, my beloved had withdrawn himself. Now watch this. I think what happened was he was so grieved by her rejections that he said, well, if she don't want me, I just head on down the road. He was so hurt by the fact that she didn't want him in her, in her presence. He was so hurt by the fact that she had rejected him that finally he just went on down the road. By the way, isn't he so kind? So, I mean, he could have just put, <coughs> kicked the door in. Just forced himself in. So I don't care if you like it or not. I'm coming in here tonight. But he didn't do that. His attitude is, well, she don't want me. I just move on down the road. But here's the favorite part of my sermon, and don't miss this. So when she finally opens up the door, and she gets over there and she opens up the door, and she's hollering, but he's gone. Watch this. She starts. You see, evidently, before he got there, I mean, he was expecting it to be on like Donkey Kong. So he pulled out a bottle of Old Spice, took the lid off. So he just I mean, he's just putting it all on. I mean, it's in the text. Myrrh, that's, that's a Hebrew word for Old Spice. I'm sorry, for, for brute. So he's got that stuff all over him because, I mean, he's fully expecting them to have a, a great time. So when he, when he puts his hand, he knocks over the door. And then he puts his hand by the knob of the door and he, he twists it. And she's still, not tonight, some other time. He goes on. But when he put his hand by the hole of the door, the fragrance where he had been was on the knob of the door. And instead of him, all she's got is the fragrance of where he was. Now let me tell you what I'm trying to point out here, and that's this. Too many churches today, all they can do is smell where he used to be because he ain't there no more. He's left His fragrance. Too many of us, all we can do is talk about how things used to be. All we can do is talk about how things were in the 60s, in the 70s. You know what we're doing? He was here. But He ain't here now. I'm pastoring a church where the pastor that was there before me, and I'm 20... 22 years going on into this now, but he was there for 45 years. And he was there. He came in 53 or 4, right around there. But I mean, he was there in those 60s and 70s when churches were just booming in those great days of revival. Every once in a while, somebody in church, our church will stand up and say, Hey, I got saved in the spring revival of 1973. And I remember after that revival meeting, we baptized 35 after that revival meeting. They talk about how things used to be. I don't know how long many of you have been in this place. Maybe you can think back about some big days 
or whatever. Some great days. Revival meetings when, boy, it was just real and people were getting saved. And you can remember all that. But now it seems like we're just content just to smell how things used to be, where He used to be, more than we are opening up the door and say, Jesus, you've got just as much power today as you've ever had. Why don't you just come back and do it again? Amen. We're more content with just smelling and talking about memories than we are interested in seeking Him and getting Him back in again. Hey, how many of y'all agree with me that He don't change? How many of y'all agree with me and say amen that He's still on the throne? How many of y'all know these are the last days? Say amen. But I want to tell you something. If God can give revival and the multitude of people are going to get saved by the sands of the shore, by the grains of sand, by the seashore, if that's going to happen in the midway point of the tribulation period, I think if God can do it then in the midst of that apostasy and that anarchy and that ungodliness, if He can do it then, why can't He do it in these days of grace? He was here, but he ain't here no more. My wife and I, and I'm not the most spiritual person in the bunch, and y'all pray for me, but when we go on vacation, we go to church when we're on vacation. So what we do is, we, when we go, if we're going to a new place or whatever, then we ride on Saturday night, we'll ride around on Saturday night trying to find a church to go to on Sunday morning. Now that's getting more and more hard to do because... You kind of can just tell by church's name kind of what you're going to get. I mean, we got too many. The bridge. Hey, I'm Baptist. I like to see Baptist on the sign. I'm not interested in the rock. Or the bridge. Or the gate. I'm interested. It's got, got enough about them to identify what they are. Don't be mad at me. I'm leaving tomorrow night anyway. You do get mad at me. So we rode around and we found the bridge and the rock and the gate. And we found uh, uh, the highway, the, the right way. I mean, we found all that. And finally we come across one that said, Antioch Baptist Church. <laughs> I said, Antioch, okay, Acts 13, Acts 11. They called disciples, called Christopher Antioch, Baptist, okay. We're going to Antioch Baptist Church tomorrow. So we got there and we went early so we could get the back seat. Gotta be early to get the back seat in the Baptist church. It ain't about the front, it's about the back. Can I get a witness? So we got there early, so we could have the back row. Now we not spiritual enough to go to Sunday school, but give us our kudos, we do go to preaching. So we um we sat down and Sunday school was dismissing in about five minutes. And so the, the the doors were starting to open up like that, and people were starting to kind of trickle out. And when this elderly lady saw us, she made a beeline right for us. She came right back out of the back row where we were sitting at and said, Y'all visiting today? Yes, ma'am, we are. We're just vacationing and we're, uh, we're uh, just visiting this morning. And she said, Well, thank you for coming. We are glad to have you. I said, Wonderful. I said, By the way, I, I got the noticing. They had the red book as a song book. And I thought, Man, this, this will probably be pretty good. So I said, Ma'am, we'll be needing a place to go to tonight. Do y'all have service tonight? She said, uh, she said, no. She said, no. She said, we don't have service anymore on Sunday night. Said, can't get nobody to come. But then she said this, but we used to. And then she just went off. I didn't ask for none of this. She just went off. She said, you know something I can remember? She said, I can remember when we used to have 200 in Sunday school. 
She said, our preacher would stand up and, man, he'd preach. And she said, you couldn't even get up and down the road. They'd be parked on the road out there. And Hannah, she said, Sunday night, the place was about full. She said, I could, I remember all that. But she said, no, she said, we don't have Sunday night no more. And said, uh, said uh, was nobody interested in coming. And when they all got out there and the service started, and I wasn't being critical, but I was counting. There was probably about 23 people there that morning, counting me and my wife. But you know what she was doing? When she was telling me all that, she was, ah, I remember. He used to be here. I was preaching in Salisbury, North Carolina, not long ago. And I was preaching this very message. So after the service was over, and I'm telling this and I'm done. So after the service was over, uh, the lady that played the piano, she was an elderly lady. I'm guessing she's probably 85. But I mean, she tore that piano. How many of y'all remember the Andy Griffith episode where Aunt B was drunk and she was playing the piano? Kind of giving, y'all remember that one? I mean, this little lady was working on that piano. And she hadn't had any of that snake oil that guy was selling neither. I mean, she was bouncing up and down. And I mean, the flowers on it. So after service over, she come up to me and she said, I want to thank you for the message. And I said, well, ma'am, just let me thank you for playing. I said, what a blessing, man. That was wonderful tonight. And uh, she said, you know, you're talking about that that murder tonight. She said, you know something? My husband passed away about six months ago. And I said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, I miss him so bad. She said, we was married for 62 years. And she said, I miss him so bad. She said, I miss him so bad. She said, I haven't even got rid of his clothes yet. She said, his clothes still hanging in the closet. And she said, you may think this is crazy, but she said, every once in a while, she said, I'll just get to missing him so bad. I'll just go in there and open his closet up and get one of his suit coats and just smell it, she said. She said, that cologne that he used to wear, she said, it's still... She said, it just smells so good. And by this time, she's just, the tears are just running down. And I didn't dare ask her this. I didn't dare do it. I didn't want to be unkind. But I bet if I would have said to her, ma'am, would you rather have that fragrance or would you rather have him? I think I know what she was going to say. I think she would have probably said, you can have all that you want to have. Give me him. And can I say this in closing? Memories are wonderful. Thank God for good memories. But can I tell you something? Let's don't go home on memories. Let's have Him back again. So somebody is going to have to throw open the door.